Today, we're going to be continuing on with the most anticipated of 2017, followed by the best and the worst of 2016. So stay tuned. Welcome to The Real Review. Welcome to The Real Review, sponsored by Parametric and Lazy Ape Studios, where you get some of the latest happenings, real thoughts, and perspectives in the world of film and television. I am Joel Topher Grace Cunningham, and this is Matt. Can't remember his lappity top. Hey, how you doing, Matt? I'm doing awesome. It's so true. <laughs> I can't remember it. No, you've got this ancient <laughs> model laptop. I know. It's like 10 years old, and you have to actually use the sidebar to scroll. It's crazy. <laughs> <laughs> how does that work? I don't even know how that works these days. I don't even days. know. It's weird. But uh, yeah, great to have you here, Matt. Yeah, it's great to be here. Great to have you as well. I'm excited to be here. I wore my nice shirt and everything. It's fancy. <laughs> it's super fancy. <laughs> but, uh, you know, we're so excited to be here today. We wanted to start off, you know, because we didn't get a chance to really talk about this too much in our first episode. Um, right. Explaining some details of maybe how the show works a little bit. Yeah. So it's a good idea. It, absolutely it is. I, I think that um, one thing to, that we didn't, like you said, we didn't get really get a chance to speak about previously was was a little bit of... of of the show's, you know, bones. Structure. Yeah. Yeah. So um, I think what's really cool about the way that we have this kind of situated is more of kind of kind of in a general sense where the uh, film critic and the and the general like movie going fans <laughs> of opinions collide. Yes. That kind of a thing. The coming together of, I don't know what you would call it, the giant explosion of critic versus fan perspective. Right. So, Matt, you kind of represent a lot more of the fan perspective, mm -hmm. and I kind of represent more the critic perspective, which is very usually evident by the fact that I hate films and you love No, I'm just kidding. Right. By the fact that I'm very critical with films often, and Matt, you tend to be more positive, optimistic. Right. With your perspective. As I've said previously, yes, I'm generally <laughs> optimistic about films in general. Exactly. So um, we're not here to tell people exactly what to think or how to think as well. We want to make sure that um, people understand that we're giving subjective opinions that are based upon, you know, studied work. We do put our time and effort into understanding what we're talking about, but we understand that everybody's got a different perspective, maybe an emotional appeal or something that right. came to a film. Right. So yeah, so definitely check us out and keep listening if that is something that interests you. It definitely interests me. <laughs> well, I'm glad because yeah. you're hosting. <laughs> so awesome. So that's basically it. Um, we're, let's get right into it. Does that sound good? Absolutely. All right. So we're going to continue on with our most anticipated films in 2017. So Matt, uh, why don't you kick us off? What's our first film? We have the legendary. legendary? <laughs> no, so we have Star Wars Episode Eight. Oh, dang. That's a big one to start with. Huge one. I know. And I, and I wanted to do that because, you know, Star Wars, man. Yeah, but people are going to listen and then they're going to turn it off as soon as they're done. Nah, Star Wars, man. <laughs> gotcha. It's cool. going to be awesome. It's going to be great. Yeah. Well, we're really excited for this film. I mean, Star Wars Episode Eight, as some of you may or may know, not know, it's coming out December 15th, 2017. Um, the director for this is uh, Ryan Johnson, and he's a really interesting director because he's done 
some big films, mm-hmm. namely Looper. That's kind of the one that he's really known for. Love Looper. Um, that a lot of people really enjoyed and really liked. Um, but he hasn't done, other than that, he hasn't done like a bazillion of other huge films. Um, he was a director for Breaking Bad for a couple episodes, and he did a film called Terriers, which I think a lot of people really liked, um, and then some kind of more independent type fare that happened earlier in his career. Um, and he's working with a cinematographer, though, that he has worked with before by the name of Steve Yedlin. I don't know if that's his name exactly pronounced correctly. Sure. Um, but <laughs> this guy's done some bigger films himself. So he's done San Andreas. He's done Carrie. He did work with Ryan on Looper. Hmm. So they do have experience working together. And they did put together, I would say, a visual feast with Looper. Yes. You know, one of the things that I think everybody can hopefully agree on is that it had some really gorgeous cinematography. So I am very excited about that. Um, Matt, what's your perspective on this film? Um, just general excitement. I really enjoyed the force awakens. Mm -hmm. Um, there were, I mean, and yes, I agree. I think, I think a lot of it was a lot of retread from some previous films, (laughs) Just a little, but, but I think that's what was needed. I feel like that was what was needed to help engage, re-engage the star Wars community again and bring on new people all at the same time to engage you with new characters Mm -hmm. and, and hit those plot points. And while those plot points might be again, similar to what you've seen in previous star Wars films, I think it it's uh it's got it's got that kind of hero's journey again where it's kind of beginning mm-hmm. that and yeah. starting this new trilogy. So going into this, I'm I'm excited uh specifically with Ryan Johnson. Um mainly because of Looper. I haven't seen actually some of these other films. I, I did watch Breaking Bad, I, I did enjoy that, but um really? uh, <laughs> yes, <laughs> you so, liked it. Nice. I liked it a lot. So um one thing I liked about Looper was it was it was very dark yeah. in tone, and I think if you could bring that sensibility to this and bring it almost, and I know it's very cliched to say this, but to mm-hmm. make this almost the Empire Strikes Back of yeah. this new trilogy, I think that could be something pretty special. Yeah, I would agree with that. I mean, if you think of Breaking Bad, if you think of Looper, those are both films and shows that had a dark edge that went to a pretty dark place right. a lot of times. I mean, with Looper, child, children blowing people up, you know? um, So I think this is a great director in a way to kind of harbor a story that would be darker in tone. And there's been a lot of conversation um, from Boyega and Driver, who both actors in the film that have both said that this will have more of an Empire Strikes Back kind of feel and maybe like a darker edge to it. Um, And I get what you're saying as well with the last film kind of in a way rhyming or matching what tonally and feel wise the story was from the Star Wars movies because it was actually, you know, co-written by Lawrence Kasdan, right. who was one of the original writers for Star Wars series, the original Star Wars trilogy. Mm-hmm. Um, so this film is being written basically completely by Ryan, the director. And so this is like a film that's completely in a different director's hands, doesn't have any involvement from any of the original writers or anything like that. So it'll be interesting to see what direction he's going to take it in. Right. And it still has the, um, like the Kathleen Kennedy and all the producers involved and the, like true. the Lucasfilm story that's group true. kind and of being involved in And you've got John Williams. Which right. <laughs> you're going to get a great score. Oh, I love that guy. Yeah, he's a really good guy. So I would definitely say this is a film that we we're very much looking forward to coming out next year. Would you agree? Absolutely. Cool. So uh, what's our next film? Next, we have Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2. Ooh, that's a good one. I'm very excited about this. You're excited about this one. I'm excited about this one. Um, the previews. Here's the thing that happens I sense hesitation. What's I had, happening there's here? A slight, yes, exactly. What <laughs> happens is, what happened, basically <laughs> the films will release these previews that are just, they knock it out of the park. Mm-hmm. And it's, you know, like the trailers, they're just amazing. 
And then you get to the film and it's never anywhere near as good. And that happens all the time. It's a very common thing. There was like, oh, why are trailers so good? But the film sucks. Um, but this trailer looked like it was taking some really good elements from the film and, and showing those. And I'm just hoping it didn't fall to that that path, that same old path of taking like the best parts of the film right. and then putting that into the trailer. You know, comedies are really guilty of that, of doing that a lot. Absolutely. Um, and, and that's always disappointment. I, I almost don't like going to comedies, especially <laughs> if I like the trailer because <laughs> yeah. I know I'm like, eh, I don't know about that. Yeah. But um, there's some, and there's some additional reason for hesitation, I will say here. Okay. So the director is the same director. So, I mean, he's, he's coming back for number two, mm-hmm. but we are bringing on a brand new cinematographer. So we've got a guy named Henry Braham. Um, he's done some good projects, but this is his first time working with James and James. And if people know basically the way that a relationship between a cinematographer and a director works, these are the two guys that in a lot of ways will account for what's filmed on the camera. Mm -hmm. And if those two people haven't worked together, they're not familiar with each other, then there's always a bit of a breaking in point. There's always a bit of getting to know each other. And so they've both done big projects on their own, but doing one together, you don't really know what impact that's necessarily going to make on the film, you know? So the cinematographer, he's done Legend of Tarzan. He did a film, didn't do too well, called Golden Compass. Um, He did another film called Flyboys, which... (laughs) Your favorite movie. Oh, just lovely. But he did do a kid's (laughs) film that it was Actually, a lot of people kind of enjoyed Nanny McPhee. Um, and then strangely enough, he did Shakespeare in Love huh. way back when. So um, this is being written by James Gunn as well. Um, in the previous, basically the previous script, um, he did have another writer that kind of helped him and assisted with him in writing the film. And so we'll see if he's capable of basically bringing this on and doing himself. Last time, a girl named Nicole Perlman. Right. So we'll see what he can do. We'll see if the cinematographer makes a difference. We'll see if doing writing it himself makes a difference and in, in going forward. Right. Did you Did you like the first Guardians? I love the first Guardians. Right. I loved it except for the end. Okay. Yeah, I didn't like the way that they kind of did the everybody band together. Right, and, right. <laughs> you know, it's gonna we're gonna save the day with our love type. <laughs> you know, I felt like they they kind of copped out. They like didn't the really Care know. Bears. <laughs> yeah, they built up this great and they built <laughs> exactly. <laughs> uh, they built up this great kind of nemesis and this really powerful like force with the you know the. The, the diamond thing with the, I don't forget. Infinity the, the stone. Infinity stone. There you go, yeah. <laughs> so they built up this great epic force and then basically love saves the day. And I feel like that's such a cop out. That's such, it was like a, a deus ex machina love yeah. version. So I didn't like the ending. I did love the humor. Right. They caught me off guard. I wasn't expecting it to be as funny as it was. I felt like the cast nailed it. I right. thought the cast was great. The story itself was, again, kind of you know, based upon the ending and everything. Just It was okay. It didn't felt like they did anything groundbreaking with right. it to me. Um, it was just more about the cast of characters. So if he can bring this back and do the same things with the characters, have the humor still be there, and not fall flat with the cinematography stuff, then right. I, I think I will enjoy it. And how about you, Matt? Yeah, I um, I really enjoyed it. And I thought it was weird because I didn't know anything about it going into it. Mm-hmm. Um, the trailers, I was like, this is weird. I don't... <laughs> <laughs> Marvel, what are you doing here? Yeah. I left pleasantly surprised. Which I, is a good thing. Very good thing. Um, and I, I don't know if it's because my expectations were super low yeah. going into it, but I, I think the biggest thing that it has going for it is the cast and the characters that they've developed. And I, I think, you know, even if there is a, let's say there is, um, if they're just not up to par with the cinematography, let's just say it just doesn't work out that way. I mm-hmm. think if, if they can 
focus their efforts. And this is what it looks like in the marketing thus far, is if they can focus their energies on making sure that the, the characters are just still just the great characters that we've come to know and love. Yeah. I think that it can, in a sense, kind of, you know, overshadow that. But um, I think that's where a lot of its strengths lie. Uh, and if they can continue to go that way. I mean, who thought that, <laughs> you know, a, a talking raccoon would be, you know. Well, he shoots rockets. I you know. know. I mean, <laughs> I, I think yeah. a talking raccoon, like who who thought that that would be something yeah. that you would su- be super excited yeah, about seeing? Yeah, and I would encourage anybody <laughs> that, you know, you might not be familiar with how the Guardians of the Galaxy came into being as a comic book. It's worth checking out their history of sort of right. how they were kind of, they weren't originally going to be their own comic and it kind of turned into a big thing. And it was, it was pretty cool. But so two things, one, I would say, um, I, a big concern for mine that I don't want to see happen is um, I don't want them to jump into the story and have the characters kind of already operating at their like peak and best. I think what they need to do personally is they need to show you that, yes, the characters have sort of come together as this hodgepodge crew, but they're not operating in their peak tip-top condition They together. still need to have an arc. Right. They still need to have an arc. They still need to go somewhere as characters. We haven't quite arrived with them yet as being the guardians of the galaxy of this official team. So that's one thing, um, because if they do too much of that, it's going to remove a lot of suspense for me. Um, but then additionally, there's two casting choices that I just want to discuss real quick here. Okay. Um, one, um, we know the, the actual role that they're going to be playing. The other one we don't know yet. And that's the one I'm more like, wait, what? So the one we do know, um, is Kurt Russell. He's going to be playing a role called ego. And if you're familiar with, you know, Marvel and everything in their universe, basically ego is this living planet. So he's a planet that is living, that has, you know, organs and everything like that and is sentient and can take on different shapes and different forms, which is crazy. That is crazy. It is crazy, but it fits. Okay. It fits with Gardens of the Galaxy. I mean, you got a raccoon. I mean, if you got, if they can pull that off, talking planet, hey, you know what? Yeah, but the other one, and I'm I'm more concerned about this because uh, they haven't listed who he is. Maybe it's a small role. Who knows? Sylvester Stallone. What's he gonna do in this film? I mean, I just don't see Rocky coming and be like, <laughs> you know, I don't I don't know what he's gonna do. I'm a it's big a, concerned about that. It's a uh, it's a cliffhanger. It is uh, um, crossover. <laughs> it's, where it's, it's like cliffhanger two. <laughs> yeah. Where uh, um, Sylvester's got to climb a mountain, yeah, and save Star Lord. Is this Rambo crossover? Is this it's, Rocky it's, crossover? It's all of the crossovers. <laughs> it's all of the crossovers. <laughs> so they're all in the same universe. Oh, right. He's going to be a boxing, gun-toting space <laughs> space warrior. Wow, incredible, awesome. So that's going to be it for this episode's best of 2017. We're going to go ahead and pick that up for our final segment in the next episode. We're going to be finalizing all of our best of most anticipated, I should say, 2017 picks. So stay tuned for that. But now let's go ahead, Matt, and uh, why don't we go ahead and hop into our best of 2016 part two. So in the first episode, we talked a bit about some of our best favorite movies that we got to see during the year. Right. And I should definitely say these are the films we got to see. Right. Not just any film. Because there's like a million out there. There are so many. I was going through, <laughs> looking through the list of films that came out in 2016. And yeah. sometimes it was like, oh, wow, I can't believe that came out. Mostly the right. bad ones. But then <laughs> the good ones, I was like, wow, that was such a long time ago. So, yeah. So what's our first film here, Matt, for best of 2016? So on the list, we have uh, Finding Dory. Oh, actually. good. Nice. Yeah. I like that one. I know. I think I think you really like this one. Actually, I feel like you should probably uh, give us some insight on that. You want me to give yeah. a bit of insight on that one? Yeah. Well, here's the thing. Um, Finding Dory was basically a sequel, if you will, to the original Finding Nemo movie, which in and of itself kind of put it in a category for me that I wasn't expecting too much because 
generally with um, comedies and things like that. And it is a kid's film, primarily adventure film, but it is also a very big comedy. Yeah. When you take a secondary film and you feature what was more or less kind of a non-main character, um, you know, if you think of Cars 2, yeah. how it focused on Tater in his story and how horrible that <laughs> ended up being, which I wasn't a big fan of Cars 1, but that's just an example. Right. You know, when you go into like a side character and you kind of follow their story, that can work out really badly for you sometimes because there's just generally not enough interest and suspense that's kind of built up in the story. So my expectations were kind of low for this. Pixar has been a little bit hit or miss for me here in the last couple of years. Mm -hmm. And so um, I went in, it's directed by Andrew Stanton um, and really ended up enjoying the film. I felt like they did a lot to bring in a new world and a new understanding of kind of the characters and the humor and what yeah. that could all mean. Um, so the synopsis for this one, in case you haven't seen it, is basically uh, Dory's a wide-eyed blue tank fish who suffers from memory loss every 10 seconds or so, which is kind of the fun of the joke in and of itself and <laughs> the, one of the big parts of this film. Uh, she basically, the one thing that she remembers is that as she was a child, she somehow ended up getting separated from her parents. Um, so with her friends from the first film, Nemo and Marlin, Jeremy, Dur Dory embarks on this, you know, huge epic adventure to basically track down her parents who kind of reside at this, you know, aquarium type place on the coast of Australia. So, right. um, hijinks ensue, crazy funny things. Sigourney Weaver. Sigourney Weaver is all over the place in that film. <laughs> um, but I really felt like they nailed it, especially with the characters that they added in this film. Um, you have two two characters. You have uh, Kate Olsen, who plays this kind of whale shark type thing. And then you have Ed O'Neill, who plays uh, a septopus. Yep. Um, he's not an octopus. He's a septopus. <laughs> he's kind of like this um, guy that's He's, he's, he's upset at the world. You know, he's kind of had it. He's, he's like, I'm done with people. People are evil. I just right. want to get back to the ocean. <laughs> you know, so he's kind of got that going on. And then you have this guy, Ty uh, Burrell, who's playing a beluga whale. I love him. Who had some of the best lines and just the silliest little humor with yeah. trying to make his like, his echolocation, location right? yeah. <laughs> you know. Um, and the big thing about this film that it accomplished for me, which is always a question, and Pixar does this so well sometimes, is it connected on a heart level. Right. You really got, this sense of just kind of, oh my goodness, wow, that's really sad how Dory ended up getting sort of disconnected from her family into this set of circumstances. And then when they, you know, spoilers here, when they meet back up, you, you're, it, it pulls the heartstrings and you're just like, wow, that is so neat. And it doesn't end there. You know, a normal right. movie, that's like the arc. They end, they meet the parents and then everybody's happy. But then there's like this ongoing kind of continued fallout from all the different things that happened. Um, I additionally really loved uh, the two sea lions who played kind of more of a bit role. Yeah. But these are two <laughs> guys that actually were originally in a television show called The Wire that were specifically cast to bring back in for just this film so they could kind of do a reunion. Right. It's yeah. so funny. So uh, Matt, what was your perspective on the film? I, I really enjoyed that. I, I mean, just... For what it was, and, and like you were saying earlier, um, Pixar is funny in just kind of how they how they do their things. But I think just in general, sequels, mm -hmm. there's kind of this rule. I mean, you have exceptions out there, obviously, where sequels are, are never going to live up to the original. Yeah. And there's and yeah. there's just always this like, you know, you want it to be awesome, but typically sequels will will let you down. Of you know, kind smidge of, kind of a thing. A smidgen. So. Well, that's probably my favorite aspect about this. I, mm. I felt like they took a premise that was uh, used in the first film and they they tweaked it in a way that didn't seem... Mm -hmm. uh, With memory loss. Yeah, 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 they tweaked it in a way that didn't seem like... like that, that didn't get old. I mean, right. I think when you 
take a film like Finding Nemo and you take a, a side auxiliary character like mm-hmm. Dory yeah. and you put it front and center, a lot of times you can get what what I like to call uh, a minions situation going <laughs> yeah. on. It's another great example. Yeah. Side characters. Right. So yeah. where, where it can really fall flat, where they're, they, they're best as a side character and yeah. not, they don't have you know, what it takes essentially to take on their own lead role. Yeah, exactly. But in this situation, I felt like it was done to such a great uh, caliber that uh, it worked. I thought it it really worked. And like you said, it had those emotional moments that that really um, pushed along and and allowed the audience to connect with it. Um, And yeah, Ty Burrell, he's my favorite TV dad, (laughs) and I I can't get enough of that guy. So if he's in it, then, you know, awesome. (laughs) Yeah. So definitely if you get a chance to check this movie out, if you haven't already seen it, um, I would definitely suggest it. Um, It's a great kids movie. It's a great family movie. It's a great, I think adults can watch this film and get a lot of fun things out of it as well. And goodness me, the animation, I mean, Pixar is just getting better and better and better. I mean, I don't know if you see the, the trailer for Cars 3 which I'm just not excited for because I don't really like the car series, right. but <laughs> visually just their storytelling ability as a visual medium with animation is just, eventually just, they need to just start shooting live action. They're pushing boundaries. I, just, <laughs> I, I mean, seriously, I saw um, The Good Dinosaur. Yeah, that was the, crazy. The movie itself visually. is just like, is this okay? Yeah. But visually, the the environments, there was times I was like, this looks like real, like a real stream and real plants. Like, Agreed, what yeah. is happening they here? They were so, but that, would, that one kind of ticked me off a little bit just because they did that so well, mm-hmm. but then when you looked at the characters that were like the obvious cartoon, you know, cartoon Disney yeah. eyes, and so the, it was like, well, we have to make these characters marketable still. They can't be too... You know, they they can't be too, fake, you know, <laughs> we need real to make looking. Them, we need to make them into stuffed animals. Right. So yeah. we have to make them stuffed animals. So they like, everything's going to be completely real except for the characters we want to sell toys, you know, right. and that kind of ticked me off. But, you know, if they'd gone, the story in itself had some weaknesses there too. So. Yeah. I, I have to admit, we have an Arlo dinosaur stuffed animal at home. <laughs> and I will say as a toy, he looks awesome. <laughs> my kids you know, love it. I would probably love it. The movie is just okay. <laughs> yeah. But very true. So cool. What's our, what's our next film for Best of 2016. Right. So I'm going to stick in the same vein here of animated films. I okay. want to go with uh, Moana. Moana. Is that how you say that one? Moana. Not Muna? Not Muna or Mona. <laughs> it's Moana. Very good. Um, there are so many good things are, that I have to say about Moana. Um, it's, it's another- Say them, Matt. Say them. It's another <laughs> Disney behemoth. Yeah. Um, and one thing I really like about this film is is not only just, just the story, but- um, in the way that it's presented, this is the first time really that we're getting mm-hmm. a um, a Disney film that's, it's, it's kind of like, it's not really like a typical Disney princess, but in a sense it is kind of yep. Disney princess, princess yeah. uh, like, you know. I think you can say she's a, she's officially princess, a but Disney they don't princess, call yeah. her that. She actually yeah. says in the film, like, she's not a princess, that kind of a thing. That was a funny, you kind of nod, wink to the right. camera. It's like, I'm not a princess. And yeah. it's the first time we're getting into this like tropical island life vibe. And mm-hmm. I really like that. I like my favorite aspect of this film, though, I think, is is when we're talking about the uh, the the story element that you see in so many other stories, where it's um, you know an individual who's trying to get out on their own, to follow their heart, to to, mm-hmm. to find their purpose. Um, that's kind of what it is, but at the same time, um, it's not at the expense of where she's coming from. She's really respectful in that sense. She, you know, if you don't know what it's about, it's essentially. Um, uh, this this girl named Moana who mm. who 
feels trapped on this on this island and she wants she feels this you know she she feels this call to go As out and one explore. would realistically if you're trapped on an island i feel right. like yeah. she feels this call <laughs> yeah to go explore and, yeah. and to to voyage and yeah. essentially to go see what is out there beyond so th- through a series of uh you know, circumstances mainly brought on by the rocks character in Maui, mm-hmm. um, the island starts to die essentially. Yeah. yeah. There's all this mythology they set up at the beginning, but it, long story short, the island starts mm-hmm. to die, and so she's she essentially takes it upon herself and is, feels forced to go do this mm-hmm. to try and find you know more resources or to fix what's happening, and um, so she there's a sense of purpose. Um, there's a sense of she needs to do this for her community and for yeah. her for the culture of the island and what's happening there. But at the same time, um, you know, she's she's respectful of her dad, who doesn't want her to go out there. But she's respectful of her her culture, her community, her her dad, and she's she's really kind of in this like, she feels like rocking a hard place. But yeah. you know, um, she does it with respect to that. Where in so many other films, it's just like I'm just you know whatever. I'm gonna forsake what where, where I'm coming <laughs> from and yeah. just go do this. I'm gonna be who I need she, to be. She does have like an ongoing respect for the place that she's come from. Right. You know. And that's probably the biggest driving factor for a lot of her, you know, hesitancy is, well, I don't want to betray right. this sense of purpose and everything that, right. that's been given to me, and this weight. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Um, the other big thing is music. And I think that music is going to last a long time, honestly. It's done yeah. by Lin-Manuel Miranda, who or most of it's done by him. So it's, um, he's done a lot of work um, uh, more recently with, with Hamilton. Okay. Um, and he's got a lot of stuff coming up. Um, he, he has one of my favorite roles in... One of the la- I can't remember one of the last two seasons of House. He's mm-hmm. like in this mental institution with a house, and he plays like this <laughs> rapper guy. He's awesome. He's, yeah, uh, yeah. Anyway, his name's Alvy. Check it out if you haven't seen it. Anyway, mm-hmm. um, anyway, he does all the music for this, and it's great. It's uh, it's it's the kind of music that when I I took my son to the movie, we left, and what he wanted to do the whole ride home was just listen to the music. Yeah. Um, and not only is the music catchy and and that sort of thing, and I feel like it's gonna live a long time after this movie is out. Mm-hmm. Um, it's well placed. There's this kind of like this one theme song. Um, it's called "How Far I'll Go." Yeah, and they put it in in the movies at these like uh, kind of these climactic times that are like that make you feel like yeah, all right, you know, kind <laughs> yeah, of yeah. well placed songs. I think yeah. that was one of the biggest strengths I had going for it. But you had a chance to see this, right? I did. Yeah. I so I we're gonna see it a little bit differently. I think right. um, I did enjoy the film. I really liked it. I wouldn't say for me it falls in a best of category. Uh, category. Can, yeah. Can I say that? <laughs> um, I liked some aspects of it. I definitely liked with the music. I thought it was good and effective. Um, I definitely liked the animation. Um, I felt like they did a good job, in a sense, telling the story of Moana. I think my favorite character was probably Maui. I just liked his style and his humor. Well, it's and the rock kinda, too. I mean, right, it's the rock. Yeah. <laughs> Can't go wrong with that, yeah. you know? <laughs> but I thought he did a great job. I think the main factor that really kept this from being a film that really stands out as like a classic kind of like Disney for me, mm-hmm. uh, like a Disney film, is there is no, to me, sense of who the ultimate antagonist is. You right. know, if you think of classic Disney movies, you think of Scar, you think of Jafar, when you're, when you're talking about like an antagonist, you know, you immediately mm-hmm. like, okay, this is the movie, you know, even Hercules, you know what I mean? You have Hades. And so it's like <laughs> you have an immediate sense of, okay, here's the good person, here's the bad person. Mm-hmm. Um, this movie didn't have that for me. And I think it kept me from really engaging in the story as much as I wanted to. 
um, because it didn't get the stakes as much as I felt like needed to be there and for, for me to really engage. Right. You know, there was a couple types of antagonists that kind of, you know, the beginning of the film is kind of more the people on the island themselves and right. Maui a little bit. And then um, the second antagonist is kind of these... Um, crab like type or like the like coconut, coconut type yeah, things yeah. and then the next antagonist which was like my favorite and I was actually hoping he would be like maybe an ongoing sort of antagonist was this big you know crab that lives in the bottom of the ocean amazing I think it was Tim Curry right it no was the voice it no? was uh, the the guy from um uh, Flight of the Concords. Flight of the Con- oh, so still great yeah, voice, yeah, yeah. you know. But for for an overall antagonist, I thought he was hilarious. I thought his song was great and really intelligent. Um, and his 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 desire and his need and his reason for being antagonistic was there and it fit. And then he's kind of like, oh, done, you know, he's over. And then you have your last antagonist, who is kind of the main, I guess, stopping point from her, you know, achieving what she needs to achieve to save the island. Right. But then you find out later that they're not really an antagonist. They're more just kind of like a misunderstood bad guy. Right. But it's actually a good guy, yeah. you know? And so you could make the argument, I think, with the story that perhaps Moana was like her own worst antagonist, that she had to overcome her own sense of... But there's no... The biggest thing is that with something like that, there's no stakes of death. There was only really... <laughs> Kind of one but, death, yeah. and then she dies from old age. Yeah, you know, and that's not that's that happens to everybody. You know, we yeah. all unfortunately that's get old. Life. You know, God willing, we all get old and die. But you know, that really kept me, I think, from getting into this film. You know, Scar. You mm-hmm. think of Lion King. There's a huge death that sets off this huge chain of events. You know, even Jafar takes that guy out into the desert at the beginning. I think it's the guy, and he goes in the cave and he dies. And so it's this stakes are high. You know, and it just didn't feel like the stakes quite got there for Moana. I did enjoy the music. Yeah. Love the animation. Um, I would definitely suggest people go watch it. One of the better films of the year, but yeah. Yeah. No, it's, uh, yeah, I, I agree. Um, there there wasn't a clear cut uh, like villain. My son just left saying, what about the lava monster? <laughs> like that's what he said the whole time. Yeah. But, I think uh, that kid factor probably helps right, a lot it too. It yeah. totally helps. I mean, if, if my son's enjoying it and he's excited, I'm, I'm definitely going to be leaning more towards his excitement. <laughs> yeah. Well, next time I'll, maybe I'll see if your kids are available. We can go watch a movie together. Next yeah. Disney movie that comes out. Maybe it'll aid in my viewing experience. <laughs> <laughs> or the Belko experiment. There you go. Yeah, don't, don't see that with yeah, kids. Yeah, <laughs> probably not. Let's yeah. wait for that one to come out and find out how that ends. Exactly. <laughs> so we have one more. What do we have next, Joel? Well, the next film, and this is going to be our last for the 2016 Best Of, um, this is a film I was really excited for, and it did not fail to meet my expectations, which is pretty rare for me. Nice. Um, it's a film called Deadpool. And this film is kind of a, it is a Marvel film, but it isn't at the same time. Right. Um, Marvel it's, property. It's yeah, owned by Fox right now. <laughs> absolutely. And if you're, if anybody out there is familiar with Deadpool and kind of his story, um, he's a very meta character. He's a very self-aware character to the point where, you know, there's times in the comic book where like, you know, spoilers, you know, he becomes self-aware, you know, of the comic book that he's being written into, you know, and eventually breaks out and like kills the writers and everything like that. <laughs> and so there's been other, you know, there's one, there's a comic book series where he goes and he kills everybody in the entire Marvel universe, which is like the same comic book series. But he's got these weird, crazy kind of meta, you know, self-aware type stories that I didn't know how that would translate into film-wise. I didn't know if they were going to be able to pull that off well. And for the most part, they nailed it. I thought this film on a humor scale was great and was really awesome. I think Ryan Reynolds, who plays the character uh, Deadpool, um, or goes by the name Wade Wilson in the film prior to becoming Deadpool, um, was like the perfect casting 
for this character. Um, to summarize, you know, for those who haven't seen the film, uh, basically Wade Williams is this special ops, like special forces ops who basically quit um, and then became a mercenary for hire. And then he falls in love with this girl and there's this kind of like weird romance that they have. It's like perfect for both of them because they're both issues kind of romance, um, but they're perfect together. He ends up getting diagnosed with cancer and in order to basically save his life and, you know, not die, he goes under this type of treatment, kind of tricked into this treatment where he comes across this sociopath scientist named Ajax, right. who ends up disfiguring him and transforming him and forcing this like Deadpool type power to come out of his body. But in so doing, basically completely disforms his body and makes him, you know, hideous. visually his, hideous. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Which there's some hilarious jokes kind of banner back and forth about his overall looks kind of throughout the movie as well. Um, but yeah, so then there's kind of this revenge story that, you know, Deadpool kind of goes on to try and, you know, wreak revenge on Ajax for doing all this stuff after he escapes. And it's just really kind of funny at times. And then it goes ridiculously violent at other times. So it's mm -hmm. definitely like a hard R movie. Right. Um, but I mean, just some of the humor where at times like, you know, he keeps interacting with these same X-Men characters, right, you know, the yeah. whole movie. And then at one point he finally goes, what, you know, why do we only have these two X-Men here? Could the studio not afford two X, like more X-Men? Right. You know what I mean? So he's just, he's aware of the fact that he's in, in a movie, right? you know, which that kind of humor to me is, is, can be done well and it can be done very poorly. Right. Um, and I think it just hit the right tone, the right feeling of humor and kind of violence at the same time. What were your thoughts, Matt? Yeah, so I have a different experience with this movie. I don't know if it, it I don't know if it'd be on the top of my list, and I, I won't say that because it's a bad film. I yeah. would say that because my viewing experience was a little weird. I saw it on an airplane, <laughs> and it was edited. And I, yeah. I don't know why it was edited, other than maybe so kids that were sitting on the airplane just wouldn't start watching Deadpool. Probably that. I'm, <laughs> I'm, it's probably a good thing they cut some. Stuff so out. it was really weird. All the all the language was weird. Um, some of the violent stuff was weird. You could tell they were cutting away from certain yeah. scenes. Yeah. Um, and just skipping over was stuff? there a shot where he, scene where he got shot in the butt did you see that shot yes okay well then maybe they didn't cut everything i don't maybe know maybe not everything yeah, i what, don't know was there a shot where a guy explodes onto a sign um into bits and pieces there's a guy that hit a sign yeah i don't know if it exploded or not and maybe yeah that, they maybe. probably cut that out <laughs> there's <laughs> okay. definitely that shot yeah. so so my my view of this is pretty skewed although i will say that the the meta uh the humor in it yeah. was probably my favorite part um yeah. Uh, there, like for example, there's a scene where he's where they're talking about the X Men, and mm -hmm. he's talking about you know the con the current like state of X Men films in yeah. today in real world. <laughs> he's like, yeah. wait. Are you talking about, you know, the James McAvoy or the uh, Patrick yeah. Stewart yeah. Uh, Xavier? So, yeah. um, even poke fun of his character as, you know, Green Lantern, as well as playing the other Deadpool right. in a prior version of a Wolverine film. Right. He, there's yeah. a little action figure of what he looked like yeah. in the Wolverine. Yeah. Oh, so fun. That stuff is really funny to me. And yeah. uh, I, I, it probably deserves another viewing on my part. Um, but, but that kind of stuff, I think, is really interesting. Something very different. And you're right. I think Ryan Reynolds is perfect for this type of role. Agreed. Yeah. And I'm really looking forward to see what they do with the sequels there was this funny joke going around online that you know maybe as like a deadpool type joke that they were filming two two films back to back and they're going to release both at the same time kind of as a joke which i thought <laughs> would be hilarious but we'll see what they do i yeah. think um it was a great start for deadpool as a character and i think he can add a really interesting twist especially to the marvel universe and seeing how he plays out because he's always kind of deadpool's funny because he kind of he pops into little elements of stories and he's kind of like a really funny character and catalyst in different elements of the Marvel universe. So right. I think it's a great addition and I'm looking forward to seeing kind of where they go with it.
Yeah, should be cool. Yeah. So that wraps up now our best of 2016. We uh, had some conversation about this as well in our prior podcast. So if you didn't get a chance to check that out, definitely do that. We talked about a couple of great films there as well. Um, but now what we're going to do here is we're going to move into probably what a lot of people enjoy the most, which is our worst of 2016. There weren't any bad movies in 2016, but were there? there were no <laughs> bad films in 2016. Yeah, Joel liked all the movies in 2016. Well... I don't know about that one. <laughs> <laughs> so Matt, why don't you uh, kick us off? What's our first worst of 2016 movie? And this is one that I feel like we definitely agree on. Yeah, probably. Um, yeah. It's going to be Batman v Superman. Oh, goodness. Wow. <laughs> Do we have to say anything? No, uh, I'm kidding. No, it, it, this, this movie, I felt like, it had a lot of potential, but it just tried to do too much. Yeah. They tried to cram way too much in this movie. Instead of it being just a Batman versus Superman film, it ended up being um, uh, a Batman versus like three different villains. And then it ended up being, let's intro the entire Justice League for our <laughs> DC yeah. EU or whatever they're calling it. Let's have a film where we introduce other films. Right. That's kind of what it felt like. That's what it felt like. Yeah. Um, the story was sloppy. The motivations behind a lot of the characters was really yeah. weird. Uh, oh the, char- the characterizations of yeah. certain characters, uh, i.e. Lex Luthor Jr., Just, I think. Yeah. Um, it might have been that way they were playing that. Yeah. Right. Um, Jesse Eisenberg. And uh, the, the biggest thing for me was the was the the plot device yeah and i don't want to give it away but the plot device <laughs> you can the plot device used to essentially make everything all right between batman and superman <laughs> i it made Mama, me cringe it, it literally killed the man <laughs> it literally made me upset at the movie i was like what yeah what that yeah. doesn't make sense and i think uh, i heard four or five people in the theater and there was only like maybe four or five is in the theater but i think i heard a few people in the theater actually snicker and kind of laugh at that moment right. which is never a good sign you I know th- yeah when your movie's in action suspense and people are laughing at the dialogue they just they tried to do too much the, yeah. there was too much going on i think that was probably the biggest thing i don't know how much of it was Zack snyder how much of it was studio meddling yeah um to try and catch up with the mcu um you could, there probably was a little bit of that because they're mm-hmm. so far behind and they're trying to trying to essentially mimic what marvel the marvel cinematic universe has going on and yeah um yeah I, I, it's just a messy messy movie totally agree i think you know this was frustrating for me I, I had I didn't have the highest expectations, but I was I had the opportunity actually to see this film being announced. You know, the San Diego Comic Con when they announced it in Hall H, and everybody's freaking out and they're like, "Oh my goodness, Batman vs Superman!" Right. Because there is a comic book series that this is based on that a lot of people really like. It a lot of people really enjoy, and they went with some of it, but then they decided suddenly we're just going to go in this completely off direction with a lot of these intertwining additional story elements like you're talking about to, to move it into different things. And it fell victim to me um, to additionally, I think if you look at certain films that have come out in the last couple of years where there's these versus type scenarios, right? If you look at Cowboys versus Aliens, um, if you look at uh, Pride, Prejudice and Zombies, <laughs> Abraham Lincoln, Vampire Hunter, it's like this this figures that you know of their own universe and then they smash them together in this film and then they end up messing it up. And I right. think a lot of the problem with it is they tend to take things and they did this as well in this film. They took it super serious. Yeah. You know what I mean? I mean, how ridiculous is it that you've got Batman versus this kind of Superman godly like character? I mean, you could have not to say it would be funny, but you could have had some like 
really kind of like that's going to happen type moments. Right. Um, and they could have made it a lot more interesting. Whereas they f- I felt like they were trying to tie in a bunch of stories and they were trying to go really super epic mm-hmm. and big, like with the, the action and the, you know, the sense of drama and purpose and meaning. And it was like, it's Batman versus Superman. Just have some fun with it. Yeah. You know, keep yep. it lighthearted. Don't, don't have in it, especially in, sorry, I'm going to spoil the ending there, but when they kill Superman at the ending, I mean, you you built up this silly story of like Batman versus Superman, and then Batman ends up basically beating Superman, and then then he dies like immediately afterward right. from some random monster. <laughs> so it's I don't know. They just it, it it felt like they were hitting all the bases incorrectly with the different characters and really not knowing what their motivations were. Like Superman's supposed to be this kind of bigger than grander than life kind of bright shining star and Batman's supposed to be this kind of somber, dark, deep, you know, right. cave dwelling right. type person. And a face off between those two should have been a lot more interesting. Yeah, for sure. how I felt. Yeah, absolutely. I agree. Cool. So any more thoughts on that film? No, that's it. You hit it all. <laughs> <laughs> cool. We'll move on to our next one then, which um, I'm going to actually enter this one because Matt, I don't know if you had a chance to see this film, but um, this was a real disappointment for me because I saw the first film. I really enjoyed it. I thought that did a lot of things right. I don't think it was a perfect film. But for what it was, it was very, very enjoyable. Um, the film that I'm referring to is Now You See Me Too. Ah. Yeah. So, goodness, this film, the first one, for what it was, for the basically kind of fun little action-y kind of adventure film, a little bit of suspense, like intrigue type thing. It was kind of sure. a mystery film mapped into like a magic type scenarios. Yeah. <laughs> um, it was interesting. The characters were good. I felt like it it hit the beats that it needed to hit at the right times. And it set up this really cool, just self-contained, self-contained, that's sure. important, self-contained story of what this would be. I saw the first one. Right. I, I thought the first one was all right. Yeah. yeah. And it, it, it the magic in that was magical, but at the same time, it felt grounded. It felt like this is w- relatively well within the realm of believability it's stretching. It's, it's you know, it's, it's on the like, cusp of it. Yeah, kind of like what you'd be like, well, how did David Blaine do something like that? So right. you'd be like, okay, maybe they know some David Blaine stuff, you know? Exactly. <laughs> you know, you've probably seen some tricks where it's been a bit like, okay, how did that happen? And then you later on understand it. And they did a right amount of job of kind of showing you behind the scenes with some of the tricks to make you realize, okay, well, there is some sort of science or, right. you know, understanding to how they're doing these tricks. And so they also set up an interesting kind of twist, which happens with, you know, a couple of the main characters close to the end, where you realize the story was a little bit deeper. It was primarily a story about, you know, this detective and this girl, and then two other characters, four other characters, and kind of like their journey of yeah. becoming these famous musicians, or magicians, I should say, or illusionists, yeah. if you will. Yeah. Um, the second movie did this horrible, horrible, horrible thing which is what is referred to by a lot of people as a retcon. Mm. And it immediately, well, retcon basically is defined as kind of, you take this pre-existing information that's been shared, and then you go back and you change it around. You rewrite it. It's something that's done in comic books a lot of times. It's like, you know, with Spider-Man, what they did in Spider-Man 3, where um, it wasn't this guy that was escaping that killed, you know, um, Ben Parker's dad or Peter Parker, sorry, Ben Parker's yeah, the one that died, yeah. killed Peter Parker's uh, uncle, but it was this other random guy that actually got bumped into. So it immediately sets up this idea that like, okay, well, the first film was then basically just a trick. Right. Like you were just, you were setting all this stuff up, which obviously wasn't in the first film. Pulls the carpet out from underneath. Yeah. It, yeah. Which is funny because it's like, oh, well, it's a magic film, so maybe right. it on purpose. <laughs> but you can tell 
that was not there to begin with. In they the just wanted film. to go with some new plot uh, yeah. that would do that to try and keep it interesting. Absolutely. But. And they separated the different characters. They introduced it. So one of the characters that had been in the first film, they got rid of her. I'm guessing she read the script and was probably like, <laughs> so they bring in another girl, Lizzie Kaplan. Who it was uh, Isla Fisher. Correct. Right? Okay. Yeah. That's so okay. Uh, uh, Lizzie Kaplan, she's a great actress. She can do a really good job, but she had this character in the film where it was like, she was almost at times sexually, um, uh, uh, like, um, inappropriately sexually advancing on one of the other characters, oh, weird. which made me feel really uncomfortable at yeah. times. I was like, if a guy had done this in a, in a film to a girl, people would be like, oh my gosh, yeah, this guy's like, like a sexual... Boycotted. Yeah, he'd yeah, be like, <laughs> you know, throw this guy in jail. Right. Um, and so that made me feel uncomfortable. The scenarios and the basic setups for a lot of the magical type elements were completely like, if you thought the first movie was a little bit far-fetched, this movie went... I mean, there's a scene where they're trying to steal... First of all, because you're a magician doesn't mean you're good at espionage. Right. You know, in, steal, in stealing and thievery. You're not a ninja. Right. It can help. But <laughs> they do this scene where they're breaking in to steal like this computer chip and they're doing these like sleight of hand tricks that, you know, there's like 10 guards in the room and just there's like 15 scenarios where one guard out of the corner of his eye would have had to have seen or heard something. And they just happen to not <laughs> magically right, right. see, you know, they're throwing you. So numerous different elements like that. The retcon pissed me off more than I can say. And then they tried to set up what I think was this expanded universe of like the ring, right. um, which it really didn't call for. Like I said, the first film was self-contained. Yeah. You ended it and you felt like, okay, they've advanced far enough. The things have been accomplished that need to be accomplished. And then the second film, like, Hey, let's, let's make this a lot bigger than it needs to be. Right. So kind of my, my own perspective on that is um, we, I, I, since I haven't seen it, it's just kind of, and I didn't see it. I think I had the chance to see this movie and then I, and a lot of people I know and trust that, that are, you know, are either in the film industry or have seen it were mm. like, nah, because <laughs> I wasn't too high on the first one. I, I mean, I thought it was okay. Yeah. Um, I, I um, but I. There was no way. Just with the trailer alone, there was something where they, I saw in the trailer that they teleported. It's almost like they teleported yeah. from something to China. I'm like, they go okay. through a magical tube. Yeah. That... So that's not magic to me at a yeah. point. That's just, uh, you know, a, a plot device. Yeah. To I make... mean, the idea in the film was that they had somehow been hypnotized, but I'm like, so you somehow, you hypnotized all four of them who are actual magicians that know how to do these hypnotisms. And yeah, it just got really far-fetched, right. you know? And it pissed me off, and that's why I made my worst album. <laughs> so yeah, sorry to uh, sorry to say, now you see me, fans. Yeah, so that's going to conclude our worst of 2016 for this episode. We're going to continue on with our worst of 2016 in the next episode, as well as finalize our most anticipated of 2017. So definitely check that out. Matt, uh, before we finish up here, do we have any news, anything we want to talk about? Yeah, a couple of news items, and we'll just go over them real quickly. Um, but I thought they were worth noting because uh, there's some, some big things that some studios have planned, uh, especially in the next year or so. Um, maybe two years, depending. But first of all, first off is, so 2017, this year essentially, is going to be the launch of another cinematic universe of sorts. So now you have mm -hmm. the Marvel Cinematic Universe, then you have the <laughs> DC Extended Universe is what Who they're next? calling it. Who next? Right. Now yeah. we have the Universal Monsters uh, universe. Wow. So, and they're, and they're actually, and we've seen marketing on this already, but um, the mummy is going to be kicking this off. So mm -hmm. Universal has been known for all the previous old like monster films. You have like the old Boris, Boris Karloff, right. like, you know, and then you have the old school Frankenstein's and mummies and 
Bride of Frankenstein's and Wolfman and you know all that stuff from back in the day. <laughs> yeah. So they're essentially bringing those back to the for, forefront. Like, they're mo- at this point, it's kind of like your parents' you right. know, <laughs> franchise, if they're, you will. Yeah. They're modernizing them. Yeah. Uh, and from the looks of it, especially with this new, uh, especially just with what we've seen with the Mummy, essentially, mm-hmm. is is they're going to be bringing a, a more serious tone. Um, Cause you know, I, I didn't mind the first mummy uh, iteration with Brendan Fraser. I grew up with that. So sure. The movie's not, yeah. might not be critically acclaimed, but no, I had fun but with it. Cause I went fun. to the, it's fun. Yeah. I went yeah. to the movie with my dad. So we've, and, you know, <laughs> we've, the whole thing. Yeah. we've saw Yeah. We've seen it a ton of times, but yeah. So this looks like it's going a more serious route. I like the vibe. I like the tone of it. Yeah. I think if this is what they set up, then it could be good. And I think they have some great talent behind it. They have Javier Bardem. He's going to be coming in at some point. Mm-hmm. Uh, Johnny Depp even, which could be perfect for him since he's got could this be. kind of character, like weird cartoony character <laughs> thing going Depends on lately. Depends on how they use him to me. He's right. almost a comedic character to me now. Right. You know, I've seen him in some, even recently, I don't want to spoil anything, but... Right, you know, recent film that he was like surprise in. I actually ended up laughing when I saw him. Um, and okay, yeah, I know what you're talking about. Oh, yeah. so okay, sorry, joke. <laughs> anyway, and then we, um, oh, oh yeah, Russell Crowe is in it. He's kind of the the Doctor Jekyll character okay. in this series. So and 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 you'll see that in some of the marketing. As long as, as he well. doesn't sing, I think we're safe. <laughs> we're safe. I think we're safe we're on that. We're not going to see a singing Frankenstein. Anyway, so yeah, I I'm kind of excited to see how this turns out. I think if they take their time on it and don't really rely on what DC is doing and trying to introduce everything all at once. If they, they have a self-contained story, I think if they can keep the, the star power, they certainly have it. Yeah. Um, I think they, if they use that to their advantage, I think they could certainly have something pretty special on their hands. Yeah, I could see that. I, I'm, I'm a bit hesitant. I think I'm a bit fearful, um, <laughs> mainly because I feel like we're, we're seeing an ongoing you know, this is the same thing that's happening with kind of every franchise right now. You know, Avatar is breaking into two and three films. Right. Aliens starting off with their prequel series, which they're going to be doing, you know, three more films. And you've got all these different kind of universes that are, you know, even Now You See Me 2 is trying to break into a universe. And it feels like the studios are trying to do this thing where in the past, everything was about a prequel or a sequel. It was like, you know, a pre-existing something that we're going to like, you know, play out again so people can re-see it. And, you know, even with Ghostbusters, we saw that they're trying to set up this kind of universe right. where basically it, 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 I've, it makes me upset and fearful because when you're trying to accomplish something, not with the story, but when you're trying to accomplish something for the sequels and everything going forward, you know, Christopher Nolan talks about how when he approaches a film, Every film that he approaches, he says, I'm going to put my all into, and I'm going to give that story everything that I have that's going to make it good to put it into it. And when you approach films with this idea, you know, this is a critical perspective here of, hey, well, we're going to make this good, but we're going to more try and set up. Then you end up with, you know, set up future things and you end up with what we're seeing now with like Batman versus Superman. You know what I mean? And I'm afraid that similarly that's going to start happening with some of these stories. And I think, I think they are more content, um, and it's unfortunate too when when you see a studio who's more content in trying to set up something at a grander scale as opposed to just focus on what they have in front of them, making you know that that happen. Um, and and I, I think with this, from some of the interviews I've I've heard from Alex Kurt mm-hmm. Kurtzman, I think who's yeah. involved in this. Yeah. Um, I don't know, but I'm agreeing. I'm, yeah, <laughs> um, I'm I'm pretty sure that that's that he's involved with. And one of the things he said is we need to make good stories cool. before we focus on combining them all. We need to make sure that that happens naturally and kind of on its own. So I have hope for this and I, I really <laughs> hope it is. I mean, I, I, I like what I've seen from the mummy so far. Yeah. Um, and, uh, yeah, hopefully it's, 
awesome and launches us into everything's got to be a, a cinematic universe you know everything's got to be connected these days <laughs> so i might as well just roll with it and we'll see we'll see what happens yeah we'll see what happens i'm gonna hold on to my uh an excitement and wait right. to see a little bit more <laughs> okay. information but yeah so that's gonna wrap it up for us here today on the real review podcast uh, i just want to make sure here at the end we tell you guys how you can get connected with us if you're trying to find more information or know what's going to be going on uh definitely definitely check out our facebook We've got facebook.com forward slash real review media. Right. Check us out there. Give us a like, follow what we got going on. We post articles and things like that on occasion. Good stuff. Yeah. And then lastly, if you want to send us a note, let us know what we're doing well, what we're hopefully not doing badly. Yeah. Um, definitely drop us a line. You can drop a line at realreviewmedia at gmail.com. Yeah, even if you have questions, yeah. send them our way. Send yeah. them to Matt. He'll cool. definitely answer. I'll try my best to answer them. <laughs> <laughs> cool. So thanks for checking us out and keep it real. Keep it real.